Are you really saved? Are you really saved? Really? I mean like for real. Like not playing, not, not I think so. Are you really saved? If there was ever a question you should want answered, this should be it. If there's ever a question you should want your kids to be able to answer, this should be it above everything else. In fact, if I told you today that the sermon today is going to be four hours long, but by the time we get to the end, you will be able to know 100%, not 95%, not 99%. You'll be able to know 100% sure whether you're going to heaven or hell. You should be willing to stay for the whole four-hour sermon. And for those of you that are visiting with us, it's not four hours. It's usually about two and a half. So we're not going to do the full four hours. I'm just kidding. So are you really saved? Really, 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 really? Like 100% do you know for a fact? Can you prove it to me? Can you, pr- can you show me even in the scripture how you know that you are saved? Um, what does that question even mean? We have so many different answers. If I asked you, are you really saved? What does that mean? People say, well, that means I believe in God, or that means that I know what the Word of God says, or that means I have a relationship with Jesus. What does it really, really, really mean? Um, I thought about this. I thought that um, if we were going to Disneyland together, we would probably plan out that trip and study the itinerary and get the directions and where we're staying and what ride we're going to ride. We would probably plan a trip to Disneyland and spend more time doing that than planning a trip to heaven. We probably, in life, we spend more time planning a vacation than we plan on where we're going to go after we die for all of eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So are you really saved? Um, if I went to Coastal Grand Mall, the great out yonder, and I interviewed everybody at Coastal Grand Mall today, 100% of all the people there, everybody there, and I asked them this question. If I said, are you going to heaven? I believe that about 90% of the people would say yes. I believe they'd say yes. If if all I said was, hey, when you die, are you going to heaven? I believe 90% would either say probably, I think so, I try to be good to people, so yeah, things like that. But then if I asked them this question, are you saved by Jesus Christ? I think it would go down to about 75% of the people would say yes. But then if I asked them this, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Not, is he just your savior? Not, is he just your friend, your wisdom, your healer? Is he the Lord of your life? I believe it'd probably get down to about 30 or 40%. I wonder if I asked all of y'all, everyone in this room, the same question as a whole, are you going to heaven? I believe most of y'all in here would say yes. I believe if we said, are you saved, it would go down, and is Jesus Christ the Lord, it would go down even further. So it's very important that we recognize and we study what the Bible says about salvation because you can't base your whole eternity on one scripture. John 3.16 or Romans 10.9, you can't base, you have to take the, that's like me taking one scripture out of the Bible on some, some other subject, on marriage. It's just one scripture and I base my whole marriage on this one scripture. You've got to study the whole heart of God as a whole. There's a tombstone in Indiana and on the epitaph it says this, Paul's stranger when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. After several years of that being on the epitaph, this passerby came through and he took out a rock and he etched something on the other side of the tombstone. He said this, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) So the question is, Which way are you going, smoking or non-smoking? Okay, so um, in the Bible, it is actually biblical for you to run yourself through a test to see if you are really 
saved. And I'll prove it to you. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves and find out if you are really, everybody say really, really saved in the faith. If you pass the test, you'll discover that Christ is living in you. Otherwise, you are counterfeits. I'm sure you know what a counterfeit is. A counterfeit is something that looks like the real thing, smells like the real thing, it, it talks like the real thing, walks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. In fact, it's intended to look real, but it's actually fake. Um, a few weeks ago, I took one of my kids to a store at um, one of the malls, and we, we bought some stuff, and I had a $100 bill. And I know, yeah, that's right, your pastor had a $100 bill in his pocket. Yes, he did. Anyway, and so... um. And so I know the owner of the store, we're friends, and so when I handed him the hundred, he did like this and held it up to the light, and then he marked on it, and he looked, I said, dude, we know each other. He said, no, no, it's not you. He said, there's some counterfeit hundreds going around Myrtle Beach right now, and FBI's involved, and da-da-da-da. And it's so interesting, he had to examine it thoroughly to make sure it was not counterfeit. Wouldn't you like to know if your salvation is counterfeit or not? I think that a lot of people get a little bit of religion and it makes them think they're saved, but they're actually not saved. In fact, if I were the devil, and I think you can agree with this because the Bible says the devil is a wise schemer, the devil would not tell you you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. If the devil was going to lie to you, he would say this, you're going to heaven. Think about it. He got kicked out of Disney World. He got kicked out of heaven. He's never going back. The number one deceit in your life is for him to tell you you're really going to heaven and this whole time you think you are, but you're actually not. So let's test ourselves to see biblically if we are really saved or not. Okay, so let's go through some tests. James 2.19. It says, do you profess to believe in the one and only God, but then complacently sit back as if you did something wonderful? Even the demons believe and they tremble with fear. Listen, um, if the demons believe in God, that tells me that you believing in God does not mean you're going to heaven. See, my goal for this test is to break you down where right now you may be like 90% sure. I want to get you to 0% and then bring you back up to 100, okay? Because a lot of times this religion will, 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 will make us think we're something that we're not. It'll deceive us. So believing in God does not mean you're going to heaven. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So now, not only does, not, does believing in God not mean you're going to heaven, calling Jesus your Lord doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just saying that he's your Lord doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Matthew 7, 22, Jesus said on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we sang in the choir, we taught Sunday school, we prophesied in your name, we helped out with the healing meals, we drove out demons and did mighty works in your name, we taught, we preached, we ushered, we did all these things, and Jesus is going to tell them openly, I never knew you, depart from me, you wicked people. It doesn't say Jesus said, I used to know you, and then I, you lost your salvation, and now I forgot you. Jesus doesn't forget people. He said this, I never knew you. See, you can know about Jesus and of Jesus and not know Jesus. So, uh, doing good things and, and for God doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Here we go, Matthew 7, 13. Enter into the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction and hell. There are many that go through that gate, but the gate to life is narrow and few people find it. Your question is, why would this good God make a, a very narrow gate to get to him? Truth, by definition, is narrow. We talked about it last week with the carpet, remember? The carpet's not red, it's not blue, it's not yellow, it's not orange. The more we get to the truth that this carpet is black, the less options we have. So truth, by definition, is narrow. And here's what the scripture says. It says that many go to hell, few go to heaven. What is more, 
many or few? Many. This scripture just told us there's more people in hell than there is in heaven. There's more people in hell. Now, do you know what's interesting? Is um, if you examine the whole earth, I think it's maybe 67% of everyone on the planet says they're going to heaven. 67% says that, which tells me a lot of them aren't. Because more people are in hell than there are in heaven. Now, why would a good, all-loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. People reject an all-loving God, and our, our default is hell. We are born into sin. So God does not, God will never be able to tell any, no, I'm sorry, no person will ever be able to tell God you rejected me. God doesn't reject anybody. We reject an all-loving God. So now if you go to a funeral, you actually think everybody's going to heaven. If you ever want to see a preacher lie right to your face, I mean a bold-faced lie, go to somebody's funeral. That preacher will say, oh, so-and-so, he shook my hand every Sunday and I know he's in a better place. Shaking your hand every Sunday does not mean you're in a better place when you die. Oh, sister so-and-so, she always helped around the church and she prophesied and she prayed for people. That doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Um, oh, brother so-and-so, you know, his last few years of his life, he was kind. You're right, but the rest of his life he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel and ripped people off. And when he got in his 80s, he was nice for a few years before he died. That doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I will not Listen, if y'all die, I'm, I'm not going to lie at your funeral. I promise you, I won't lie at your funeral. So if you die, here's what I want to say. I want to say, brother, sister, so-and-so, they served the body of Christ that was very fallible and filled with people that were not perfect because they had a heart for God. Brother, sister, so-and-so, they, they, they loved God. They loved people. They were not perfect. None of us are. But you could tell their heart was always drawn to do what it was ever best for the kingdom of God. They loved to build the kingdom. They didn't just come to church on Sunday and that was their thing. They, were done. they had a relationship with Jesus and it was obvious. They, their default, even though it, before we're saved, our default is held, their default now after they got saved was to always go closer and closer to God. No matter what mistakes they had, no matter what, what wrong decisions they made, they always got back up and kept climbing after God day after day after day. That's what I want to say at your funeral. I'm not going to say she was a nice person. We, she might be in hell, though. But she was really nice, but she's probably burning in hell for the rest of eternity. Okay? I don't want to say that. So here is the question. The question is this. Are you going to heaven when you die? That's the question. If I asked everybody at Coastal Grand this question, here's what they'd say. They'd say, well, I think so. I think I'm going to heaven. And I'd say, well, why are you going to heaven? They'd say, well, I try to be good to people. Wait, wait, so that's why you think you're going to heaven? What does that mean to try to be Where did you get the good word from? How did you get the morality of good and bad if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know his word? Well, you know, I try to treat people the way that I want to be treated. And that's getting you to heaven? That's getting you to heaven? So here's what I want to do. Y'all ready to have some fun? We're going to have some fun. Okay, I need seven volunteers to come up on stage with me. Let's start with the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, Emily, you come too, and I'm going to let you stay there and guard that row. Trisha, y'all come up, front row. Here we go. Unless some of y'all want to play. Wait, wait, hold on, wait. Some of y'all might want to play. You want, anybody want to play? We're going to have fun. Uh, Betty, you want to play? You're going to come up on stage here. Uh, Betty, you come on up here. Who else wants to have fun? Anybody else want to have fun? Oh, come on up here. Okay. Emily, you come up. Dale, Paula, I'll take you two. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Mary, come on up. Angela, come up. Or Kelly, you want to come up? Whoever. Kelly, come up. Angela, you've done enough work already today. Okay, here we go. Let's see how we're going to do this. Okay. You're, you better be afraid. If I were you, I'd be afraid. If I were up here with me, I'd be really afraid. Okay. So I'm gonna, I need you guys help to judge people. Okay, I'm going to let you all be God. That already sounds fun, doesn't it? Okay, here's what we got. 
We have the ultimate good on this side, okay? Everybody see that? We have the ultimate evil over here, okay? So, now, when y'all think of the ultimate good, who do you think is like one of the best people who have ever lived on planet Earth? And you can't say Jesus, but other than Jesus, just name somebody that we, that we all would think is just the most wholesome person in the world. Who? Who? Well, no, we got this, one of the best. Listen, there's some good people out there. Hold on. Who's who? What, give me somebody. Come on. One of the best. It, it, can't, it ain't going to be nobody in this church. That's for sure, okay? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Billy Graham's a good guy, right? Okay. Dale, you play Billy Graham. So Dale's going to come over here. Dale's here's, you're right in front of the, Now, Billy Graham, he knows he's not perfect. He knows that. So he's not ultimate good, but he's a really good guy. Wouldn't you all say Billy Graham's one of the best? Okay. He loves Jesus. So Billy Graham's there. Now, when you think of one of the most evil people in the whole universe, who's the most evil person that ever lived? Who? Hitler. Hitler. Emily, you're playing Hitler. Okay, so Emily, you stand right here, okay? You're right. I'm going to put you right there. You're ultimate evil. Okay, here's Hitler. Now, just name somebody that we all, somebody famous, name somebody that we all would know. Who? Bono. Bono. Do you all know who Bono is? Oprah. Who said Oprah? Oprah? Oprah. Okay. Okay. Betty's going to play Oprah. So, now y'all judge Oprah, okay? We got Billy Graham all the way there. We got Hitler here. Where does Oprah go? Left or right? Which way? Point, point, point. This way? This way? Keep point. Tell me when to stop. Oh, right. Somebody's saying that way. <laughs> All that good she does for the starving children in Africa. Which way? About right here? Good? Okay. Name somebody else. Ellen DeGeneres? Okay. You know, I like it. Okay. Ellen DeGeneres. Okay. Y'all let you play Ellen DeGeneres. Which way? There's Oprah. There's Hitler. And there's Billy Graham. Which way? This way? Uh-oh. Some people are pointing that way. Uh-oh. So. I need y'all to help me point. Point which way Ellen goes. Oh, man, y'all are torn. Ellen, Ellen's, okay, Ellen's right here then. Ellen, Oprah, Hitler, okay, name somebody else. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, okay, Martin Luther King Jr. Mary, where does Martin Luther King Jr. go? Which, which side of Billy Graham? Which side? Which, uh, which side? All the way. Uh, I'm putting in, in, this side of Billy Graham. Okay, okay, okay. We're not. Okay, we don't need to fight in here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, who's left? Y'all got to remember who you are. Who are you? Hitler. Okay. Who are you? Ellen. Oprah. Billy Graham. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Now I need you. Come here. You're going to rep. You're going to represent every, everybody in this room. <laughs> And don't forget, Loretta's in here too. So, okay, so you, we kind of know the people in this church, right? They're, we're all family. We know each other. Okay, y'all, y'all tell me where y'all go. Where do y'all go? Point. Y'all go this way? Who are you? Who are you? Oprah. So we're going to go on this side of Oprah? Uh-oh. On this side of Oprah? I know. They want to go. <laughs> You're not judging the person next to you now, Okay. <laughs> Well, my husband, he would go over here, and I'd be on that side. Where do y'all think y'all go? This way? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I got a lot of people. Billy, right here, right here. So in between Oprah and Billy Graham is where y'all go. Y'all think very highly of yourself. Y'all think extremely. Okay, I got one more person, okay? Paula. Paula is going to represent somebody named Nicodemus, okay? Paula, you stay right here. And as I call out the qualities of Nicodemus, I want y'all to tell her which direction she should go in based on the people up here, okay? Nicodemus, ready? Number one, Nicodemus believed in Jesus and God. So now where does Nicodemus go? On this side of Ellen? This side of Ellen? Okay, you're on that side of Ellen. Okay, next quality. 
He attended church every single week. Now, now which way? Go this side of Oprah? Stay here? Okay, okay. Now he prayed every single day. Now that side of Oprah? Does Oprah pray every day? Y'all don't know Oprah. Okay, number four. He tithed weekly. Now let me just say something about Oprah, okay? Oprah can give millions and millions of dollars away, but the percentage is what God looks at. So the question is, Nicodemus tithe, should, what side of Oprah? That side of Oprah, okay? You're on that side of Oprah. Now, Nicodemus, what's the next one? Fasted twice a week. Fasting means that you don't eat and you pray it rather than eat. That's two times more than y'all have done your whole life, okay? He fasted twice a week. So now which way does Nicodemus go? Okay. Nicodemus, who are you again? You're the church. You're the church. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Okay, you stay right here. Which side does Nicodemus go on? So y'all better tithe every week, okay? And y'all fast, do y'all fast twice a week? Oh, so Nicodemus now goes on that side of the church, right? On that side. Of, okay, let's keep going. Number six. Nicodemus memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. That's Leviticus. That's the book of the Bible that y'all say when y'all read the Bible in a year, y'all skip through that book. And he memorized it. Now where does he go? Do you think Billy Graham had the first five books of the Bible memorized? No, he did not. Are you out of your mind? He did not. Billy Graham did not memorize. <laughs> Y'all can't even tell me the order of the first five books of the Bible. Okay, y'all can all go sit down. Y'all go sit down, okay? Now, I have a question as they're sitting down. Where does this sign go based on the people who are up here? On this side of Ellen, on this side of Oprah, where does the sign go? Where does this sign go? Right here? Where was Oprah at? About right here? This side of Oprah? Ellen? This side of Oprah and Ellen? This side about right here? This where it goes? This where it goes? Who thinks it goes right here? Raise your hand. Which way do I go? Which way do I go? You mean tell you where the sign actually goes in the Bible? You mean show you where the Bible says it goes? The sign actually goes right here. Do you know why? Because Jesus was on this side of the sign. And he took your place, which was on this side of the sign, so that you could be on this side of the sign. This is where the Bible says it goes. In other words, Jesus died for everybody on this side of the sign. Isn't it so interesting how we judge ourselves and other people based on works? Let me tell you, I, 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 have, I have three major points. First, let me tell you this. Salvation is not a goal to be achieved it's a gift to be received. It's not a goal to be achieved. It's a gift to be received. You know, if, if we were doing this again and I said, okay, who's going to play Moses? Where would Moses go? He killed somebody. He murdered somebody. What about David? Adultery, murder. What about Paul? He, he was in charge of stoning people to death who were Christians. Where would he go in the sun? Where, where, if y'all were here, where do you think Moses would go? Is anybody here murdered, stoned somebody to death? Every single one of us, every one of us need to be, we're on this side of the sign. We were all in this section. Whether you're here, 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 we're all on this side of the section. And Jesus died for every single one of us. Now, whether we receive that or not is up to us. So I have 
3, oh, let me read you about Nicodemus. That's right, I did forget this. John 3, 1 through 5, there was a Pharisee, a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night and said, we know you've come from God. Nobody can do miracles unless God's with them. Jesus said this, I'm telling you the truth. Unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do not be surprised when I tell you, Nicodemus, you who memorized the five books of the Bible, who fasted, who tithed, who came to church, I'm telling you, you're not going to heaven unless you're born again. So I have three points for the next eight minutes. Three quick points. Okay, You're going to love the way the points match up. So you're going to want to write it down or use your brain. Number one, God's grace saved us. Everybody say saved. Saved, saved us. 2,000 years ago we were saved. There's nothing we can do to earn that. There's not two, we were already saved. We've already been saved. Whether you receive it or not is up to you. We've already been saved. Ephesians 2.8. By free grace you are saved through faith, it was nothing you did, nothing you did, but it was a gift from God. Let me tell you like this. Can an unsaved man who does not know God do good things for people? Yes or no? Okay, so you got an unsaved man, unsaved. He does not have a relationship with Jesus. Unsaved. And he goes to, comes to Myrtle Beach on a business trip, and he's doing a meet, and he makes a mil, few million dollars at this business meeting he's in. He closes an account, makes millions of dollars. He's just in such a good mood. He's walking back to his hotel here in Myrtle Beach. He sees some kids playing with the ball, and the ball goes out in the street. And so this unsaved man runs out in the street, and he gets the ball and brings it back to the kids. Then as he gets closer to his hotel, there's a homeless guy on the side of the road asking for money. He pulls out $1,000 and gives it to the homeless guy. Then just before he gets to his hotel, there's an old lady about to cross the intersection. He runs up to her. He helps her. He carries her pocketbook and gets her all the way across the intersection and then goes to his hotel. Did the godly deeds that the unsaved man just did make him saved? Yes or no? Okay, you got a saved man who has a relationship with Jesus, serves the body of Christ. It's evident he has a relationship with God. He comes to Myrtle Beach for a business meeting, and he loses several million dollars on this deal. He's so upset. On his way back to the hotel, he passes by some kids playing with the ball, and he kicks the ball in the street because he's just so angry. Then he comes to a homeless guy asking for money, and he yells at him and says, Get a job, loser. Then he's almost to his hotel, and there's an old lady walking across the intersection, and he walks by her real quick and shoves her, and her pocketbook falls. Did the ungodly deeds that the saved man just did now make him unsaved and he's not going to heaven, yes or no? No, then why do we think that way? Why does our mind always think we have to earn our salvation or we can lose our salvation? Number one, God's grace saved us. Number two, God's grace is saving us. We are not responsible to change. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it is not your responsibility to change yourself. If you could change yourself, if you could fix your bad habits, if you could make it on your own, then you wouldn't have need to have been saved in the first place. So funny, we know we can't get to heaven, we can't get to God without a relationship with Jesus. So we get saved, and then it's like after we get saved, then we're like, now we got to change ourselves and fix ourselves. You didn't get saved on your own. You got saved through Jesus. So why do you think you can change on your own? It's not our responsibility to change ourselves. 
Our responsibility is to build a relationship with the one who is responsible for changing us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, because we continue to behold the word of God, we are forever being transformed. And from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. For this comes from all my hard work. This comes from all of my effort and energy. This comes from me trying and struggling and I know I'm going to make it. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's like if I asked you today if you're married or not, you could answer yes or no. It should be the same thing with salvation. Are you married? Well, I think I'm married. Well, I don't really remember the date. I'm not sure. You don't have to remember the date to be saved to know whether or not you're saved. The way you know you're married is somebody came into your life. They live in your house. Your whole life changed. You serve that person. You love that person. It's the same thing with salvation. Salvation the same way. Our job is not to change ourselves. Our job is to spend time developing a relationship with the one who changes us. Here's how, let me tell you, even the, even the logic behind that, let me tell you. you got a thousand things wrong with you. I know that was the most encouraging thing you've heard lately. i got a thousand things wrong with me. You're saying that I'm now supposed to get my list out and change this about myself and fix this about myself and after I accomplish this, then I'm going to try to, it doesn't work like that. God knows your soul, your heart. He has it in His timing. The things you think that people say, oh, I can't believe you do this. Well, you know what? God might not be working on that area of your life. He might be working on this area over here. This may be a season where God's teaching you how to pray. Forget the addictions. Forget the bad attitudes. It's time to pray. This may be a season where God's teaching you how to honor Him financially. Whatever it is, it's between you and God. So don't leave this church thinking, well, i got to change myself every week. I heard this sermon. i got to fix that. i got this wrong with me, that wrong with me. No. God knows what's going on in your life. And you can't compare your relationship with God to your spouse's relationship with God. God may be talking to them about one thing and talking to you about something totally different that you have to work on. You're not required to change yourself when you get saved. If you were, you wouldn't have needed to have been saved in the first place if you can fix yourself and change yourself. So God's grace saved us. God's grace is saving us. It's like in any relationship, whenever you affirm that person and you serve that person and you spend time with that person, you naturally grow. It's not like in your marriage. You said your vows. Let me give you a good analogy because all through the Bible, salvation is likened to marriage. Okay? You said your vows, but after you said your vows, you don't spend the rest of your life saying, well, you promised you would never do this and you promised you'd do that. No, you build a relationship and you just grow in love together, right? Same thing salvation. You said your salvation. You said your sinner's prayer. You said your vows. Now you're saved. Now when you go back, leave it to God to change you. Your job is to spend time with Him. Serve, the, serve His body and He'll change you. Read His Word. He'll change you. Spend time praying. He'll change you. Spend time listening. He'll change you. Worship. He'll change you. It's your job just to spend time with Him. It's His job to work on all the crud inside of our life. That was a good point, wasn't it? I'm sure it was, yes, because y'all are full of crud. Okay, number three, God's grace will save us. Will save us. Nobody goes to hell for sin. Nobody on this side of the sun is in hell because they sinned. They're on this side of the sun because they did not receive the person who took their place. That's why they're on this side. That's why they go to hell. Nobody goes to hell for sin. And nobody goes to heaven because they did everything right. They go to heaven because Jesus took their place, and that's how they got here. It says in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your, not your head, not just a knowledge thing, but you believe it in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me break the whole thing down to you. First, first let me tell you this. I believe, and I've studied every scripture on salvation. 
I believe the way you know you're saved or not is this. Before you were saved, your default was always to do what you wanted to do. Whatever made you happy. Live life the way you want. You would try to do the right thing and try to honor God, but you kept going back to yourself. When you're saved, God does a work in your heart where now your default is you may do the wrong thing. You may be selfish and do things you want to do sometimes, but your default is always this, man, something just keeps drawing me back to God. Just keeps drawing me back to the church. Just keeps drawing me back to serving other people. There's, he changes the polarity of your heart. If your testimony is, I got saved and nothing changed, that's a horrible testimony. That's a horrible testimony. It should be, I got saved and now I just, I just want to do what God wants. Of course I make mistakes, of course I fail, but I always get back up and something just brings me back to God every time over and over again. That's salvation. That's a relationship of the one calling you. The whole Bible breaks down like this, okay? And I'll close with this. Thousands of years ago, God came down to the children of Israel, the Israelites. And he said, listen, y'all, I want to be in covenant relationship with you. I want to be in covenant relationship. I'm going to have a part, and you're going to have a part. God said, my part is this. I will be your God. I'll be your healer, your provider, your strength in difficult times, your joy, your peace, your wisdom, your guide. I will be with you day in and day out. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be your God. And they said, that sounds good. What's our part? God said, well, here's your part. He gave them the Mosaic Law. 22 fence laws, all that, those books of the Bible that we talked about earlier that you <laughs> thought Billy Graham had memorized. Anyway, and God said to the Israelites, said this, here's your part. Your part is you have to obey the law perfectly. You can't ever make a mistake. You've got to do everything just right. Here's why. God said this, um, I'm perfect. And the definition of perfection, just by definition, means it can't be around imperfection. So if you want to be in a relationship with me, you got to do everything right. You can't make a single mistake. There's even a part in there about if you get a scab, what you're supposed to do. In that book, I think it's Leviticus, the one that you don't know. Anyway, and so God said, he said and so the Israelites said, okay, I'll do it. They couldn't go one single day. So they, the next day they started over again, couldn't do it the next day. So then the third day they couldn't do it. The fourth day, this went on for hundreds of years, thousands of years. God just sat back and waited and waited and waited for them to say, we cannot do it on our own. He just waited. They just kept trying to live perfect. Do it. They could not do it. They could not do it. So then you fast forward about 2,000 years ago. And God comes to me. And he says, John Paul, I want to be in relationship with you. Covenant relationship. There's my part and there's your part. God said, my part is this, I will be your God. I will love you. I will protect you. I'll be your joy, your strength, your peace, your guide, your wisdom. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be your God. I said, that sounds good. What's my part? God looked over at his son Jesus and he said, Jesus, come here for a minute. I want to be in relationship with John Paul. But he's not perfect. So I need you to get off of your throne where you are worshipped and adored and go down to that rotten place called earth where you will not be treated like a king. You will be tortured. They will not be kind to you. You will make enemies. 
But I need you to go down there and I need you to live for John Paul. And here's the thing, Jesus, you can't make a single mistake. You can't ever break the law. All 2,200 fence laws, all 10 commandments, all of it. You've got to do everything just right. But here's the key. No matter how good you are on earth, John Paul's still going to make a mistake. And the wages of sin is death. So I don't need you to just live for John Paul. I need you to die for John Paul. And Jesus said, I'll do it. And then God looked at me and I said, well, what's my part? God said, your part is to just hang out with me. Let me love you. Receive what I have for you. Just spend time with me. God said, all I want is a family. That's all I want. And at the end of time, believe it or not, that's all God gets is a family. So my question is, when did that happen for you? When did the switching of places happen for you? When did you decide you can't get to God on your own? When did you decide no matter how good you try, you will never, ever, ever, ever be able to live a life that gets you into heaven just by your actions? Romans 5.17 says, Those who receive God's grace and free gift of righteousness will reign with Jesus Christ. Here's the last question is this. I know that I can't get to God. I know that His grace saved me. I know that His grace is saving me. I know that His grace will save me. It's been 15 years now. I'm a leader. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. But do I still believe what God did is good enough? Or am I now trying to get there in my own strength?